0: Welcome to the Unfair Advantage Project. Unique perspectives, practical insights, and unexpected discoveries directly focused on giving you the unfair advantage. Introducing your hosts, Nadia Hughes and
1: Terence Toe. Welcome to the Unfair Advantage Project. I'm Terrence Toe, founder, managing director of strategic corporation. I'll be one of your hosts today, and I've got Nadia here with me. Good morning, and, Nadia.
2: Uh, Nadia Hughes from mm-hmm. Unfair Advantage Accounting. <laughs> and this is very exciting because it's the first time I'm telling that I'm no longer with another film.
1: Awesome. And today, really excited to have a great guest, James Shramko. We've got, he's the founder of Superfast Business. He runs Silver Circle. He's an author, really established author now, a book called Work Less, Make More, and before I let James even talk, there's a lot more stuff that I can attribute to James. So James has been a mentor and a coach to me for a few years now. I'm in the super fast business community. I've been in Silver Circle. And in fact, I think for a little while, I was the only one in Silver Circle without a business because he helped me to sell a business (laughs) that I had. I went in there with a a two-year plan to sell a business. We did it about three months. And Actually, James is kind of the inspiration for this podcast. You know, I used to listen to James' podcast quite a while ago and still do, mind you, I still do. And also responsible for introducing me to surfing, which mm-hmm. has kind of changed my life to some degree. I've been doing that for just over two years now. First time ever was at one of James' events. We've been to the Maldives a couple of times, made me hold my breath for a hell of a long time. So we've got a little bit of a history now. James, welcome. Welcome. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. It's lovely to meet you too, Nadia.
2: Thank you very much.
1: One thing that I think is really great that I've seen you do, and I I love the podcast and seeing how that's kind of progressed for you, but one of the things that I really love that you did was the book release, Work Less, Make More. Can you give us a little bit of history on how all that came about and how it kind of worked for you? Well, you know, the history goes back further than we might have thought.
0: I had this mafia plan probably about nine years ago, which I'd written out. It was, it was a mafia plan because it was I was reading about LA Goldrat and I think there's mafia offer in there. It's an offer so good that you can't refuse it. And my mafia plan was a business plan so good that you just can't not do it. And I'd mapped out all the core components of what I thought would be a fantastic business. And there were elements like traffic leading into an authority blog, a podcast, an email list, a membership, high-level program, masterminds, licensing, services, and affiliate offers. And in one corner was a book. So I'd written this down some time ago, nine years ago, and it was the only part of my plan that I hadn't gotten to by about five years ago when I actually knew that I needed to get someone to help me with this. So I hired a lady to help me write my book. And she had been working for a publisher and she came and visited me. She interviewed me. She went through my courses. We did the brief and everything. And then I paid her money and then nothing, nothing at all. Like a couple of years until she had like writer's block. It was just too much. It overwhelmed her. She couldn't figure out where to start. She got stressed about not delivering and then it just, dropped into a hole. And by the time she came back to me with a draft, I kind of moved on. I was knee deep in running my SEO business. I'd moved, you know, all this stuff going on. So it just wasn't the right time. And I left it. And also, I wasn't in love with the idea of, of what she'd come up with wasn't sort of matching the expectations. So then I was invited to speak in the Philippines at an event. I put together a presentation for that audience, and that audience were predominantly bloggers who are really nice people and are often creative and have great ability to write and publish and they're artsy and design-wise fantastic, but sometimes they're not making good money. So my presentation was really speaking to them. They're working hard, but they're not making good money. And that was called a three leverage points or something. And that was the seed of the presentation that a lady in the audience sat through. And then at the end, she came up to me and she said, Why don't you have a book? This would be a great book. And I said, Yeah, yeah, I tried the book. I, I almost had a book. It didn't happen for whatever reason. She goes, I will help you. I said, Okay, done. So I started again a couple of years. This is two years ago now, maybe three. And through the process. This lady's called Kelly Exeter. We went through the same sort of thing, a zillion audio transcripts, products, answering questions. And also I wrote this email series for a launch that I was doing as an affiliate where I've sent one story per day for a week. And she got these stories. She said, these are amazing stories. These have to be in the book. So I gave her all this stuff and then about 1% of it made it into the book. (laughs) Work less, make more. It came out in December 2017. Sometimes I don't know what year it is right now. And it's been really successful, well-received. It became a bestseller. Sat in this office here in my Philippines house and recorded the Audible version of it in June 2018. And that got released and it's selling like two to one of the Kindle. Every day it sells. It's great. If you have a podcast and you have a book, Make sure you read your own Audible is my tip there. And since the book came out, basically everything that I have for sale sells out in advance. Maldives is now sold out to 2020. My coaching program has new members applying all the time. And it's a really great front end for the back end of your business. I wouldn't say a book is a good product on its own, which I think a lot of authors have this Vision of, they think that's going to be the thing. It's usually not the thing. If you have the number one top selling business book, you might make a couple of hundred thousand dollars. However, if you put products and services on the back of that, you'll make a couple of million dollars from that same book funnel, if you like. So you know, there's my sort of book story. Hopefully, that was entertaining. <laughs> that's well, awesome.
2: I, I actually did like it. It's just the fact that it started with epic failure and uh, complete deflation, suddenly over, s- by random chance, absurd, well, chance is random, I'm just, English is a second language. Basically, you would start writing it again and gone through the entire labor pains again. That's yeah. just, it's actually tenacity of your character. It just, I wouldn't be going through seconds but I would just give up. And another thing, reality check is a lot of people are quite right. I've got like about five or 10 clients writing a book in, in hope that it's going to be and all. They are going to become rich and retire from this book. And I read their books usually really good because they written, it's their masterpiece of their life. They are smart, they hire somebody to help with the style and editing and everything. But what I don't see, I don't see how it's going to be able to su- support them for the rest of their lives because of looking at the figures.
0: It really de- depends to some extent on their cost of living. And it also depends on how they publish it. If you go through a publishing house, uh, you won't see much of the, the money and it won't be for a long time. It's on delayed. I've got one client who published a book and went out early in this year and he's still yet to see a dollar come from the royalties which the publisher is holding on to. And it's also had to do print runs and have commitments there. So if you self-publish, you can increase your chance of the margin, but you also have to balance out whether you're going to get that exposure. It's harder for you to get into airports and stuff. But I think you could make a hundred or $200,000 from your book and Audible if you self-publish and if the business market, for example, and if it sells quite well, well, why not make a couple of million dollars off the same effort if you can put a plan in place to capture... I mean, people investing in the book and reading it, they're ready to buy the next thing if they liked the book and if the book's good. And also there is that disparity sometimes between what we think would be a good book and what becomes a good book for the audience because it's tempting to get a bit self-indulgent with the book and to make it satisfy your needs. But really the book is for the customer and the book has to be helpful to them. So there's that creative versus practical balance. Well,
2: it's also this psychological me bias. Me bias, I'm always the center of the universe and I'm a very interesting person. Well, the rest of us don't even care.
1: That's a great story to begin with. And I haven't actually heard that before. So thank you for that. I I also don't remember talking about the mafia plan and you know the, the book being a part of that. Can you tell us a little bit more about the mafia plan? like? Yeah. Maybe, yeah, how about the special. picture of what the rest of it looks like? <laughs> Can we yeah, share well, that? Well, you know, you've got
0: access to it in super fast business. Right. Um, there is a story behind this. When I wrote the plan, it was my personal plan. It was like everything I knew at the time from all the learning I'd done for years, like decades in the car dealership and studying all my mentors and greats and books and so forth. I put it down to one page on a mind map. I had this mind mapping software and when you get mind mapping software, you love to make mind maps. I mean, even a crappy mind map looks impressive, right? Even if the words on the bubbles aren't that useful, it's a mind map. I mean, it's amazing. So I'd put it in this mind map. And at the time I was invited to speak on the platform for a major conference in Australia. And they had a couple of other speakers. It was a multi-speaker event. And one of the other speakers Confided in me, he said that he was down to his last dollar and he couldn't even afford to fly home. And I took pity on this guy, he was an American guy. And I said, Why don't you come over to my house? We we're in Sydney, we did Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, New Zealand. Why don't you come to my house and I'll just break down your business with you and see what opportunities you have? And anyway, I pulled out my mind map, my mafia plan, and I just stepped him through how he might do this and it was actually on a computer screen at the time. Anyway, I went down to make us coffee and while I was making coffee, this guy emailed the map to himself from my email to his email. They basically stole it. And it turns out this guy was like a shady crook. All of his testimonials were made up. He didn't have the success that he claimed from stage. It was my like massive eye opening into the crimes that go on from the speaking circuit. And that's why I stopped speaking back then on, from those multi-speaker events where they sell things because the ethics in that industry were just appalling. When I alerted the conference organizer about it, he knew about it. And I said, well, I can't be on the stage with this guy. Anyway, because the mafia plan was now in the wild, so to speak, I thought I'm going to publish this. So I made it the feature for my fast web formula Three event i'm pretty sure it was that one it's on the starting page of the workbook in that conference i took people through the mafia plan step by step, and we're talking quite some time ago i'm guessing it's probably by this stage it might be two thousand and twelve or so two thousand and eleven maybe somewhere around then so seven or eight years ago, I published it for my customers and behind closed walls and If you pull that mafia plan today it's still. 100% relevant. Like There's virtually nothing that I would change on it. If you look at my business, it represents what that mind map looked like. So I drafted the map first and then I built it. You know, If you wind back even before that, when I started learning about online marketing in 2005, 2006, the, the stuff I was writing down then in my book, I had different colored pens and I had an A3 size sheet, which is big. It's like that, like a sketchbook you would think if you'd found this workbook, if you'd stumbled into my kitchen and found this workbook, from the diagrams I'd drawn, you would think you'd stumbled onto NASA's space shuttle wiring diagram. I mean, it was unbelievably complex. I had mapped it to a level of complexity that was impossible to build. Like every first homeowner does with, the, with their architect, they map out a plan and then they get the quote from the builder and it's like six times more to build than what they expected. It's a rookie mistake. So the, the beauty of the Mafia plan was how simple it is. I'm happy to share the Mafia plan with your audience if you want to put it somewhere. where That would be the good
2: because it's a very public. catchy name, I must admit.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, I'm sure it would appeal to your Russian <laughs> <Of course>. sensibilities. <laughs>
2: I can work with it.
0: I will talk
2: to you guys. You talk to my guys. (laughs) Put the market plan?
0: Yeah, I guess I took some inspiration for this from my Russian um, links. You know, like I had some very successful Russian customers. When I was at Mercedes-Benz, they would come and order a black S500 with all the options. They were very wealthy. And he would sit with me at a private luncheon. He'd take me to lunch to celebrate his car and he would tell me the secrets. I can't do the accent, I think it would just come across as I can insult. help you. Yeah, well, or you could say this. You say, James, this is the secret.
2: James, this is the secret.
0: <laughs> yeah. The thing with Russian technology.
2: The thing with Russian technology.
0: Is it's simple and it works.
2: It's simple and it works.
0: Yeah, he'd say, you, James, you look at the S- Sputnik. It beat the Americans into space and it's just a ball with a few prongs on it. It just did the job.
2: <laughs> can I interrupt? This encapsulated in a famous anecdote. Americans spent $2 million to design a pen which can write in zero gravity. Russians took a pencil.
0: It's true. It's a nice story. It's not quite true, but it's a good story.
2: It encapsulates um, Russian character.
0: It does. And he'd tell me about a gun. He'd say, James, you know, with our gun, you can cross a river, get it wet and still pull it out of your, of your, of your holster and fire it. You can't do that with an American gun, right? So I took from this, like this whole concept of Sputnik has been inspiring to me that just go with simple and get it to work. I was thinking about this earlier today. I did a training yesterday for my members and I do a training every month. And The training is quite simple in how I put it together. It's just some slides. I don't do fancy pictures or whatever, and I just talk through it. And I could turn that into a $1,000 product, and I could have modules, and I can gamify it, and I could do illustrations. I could have check sheets and workbooks, and I probably will do that at some point. But to some extent, my entire product line to this date is still my minimum viable version. (laughs) It's the simple version that I could one day later on go and make complicated And that, So I went from the complex wiring diagrams where I implemented nothing to very simple executable plans. It reminds me of General Patton while we're on the military and while we're doing the Russian American thing. He said something along the lines of a good plan violently executed today is better than a great plan tomorrow or something like that. Mm -hmm. I've probably butchered that a bit, but in other words, just get the simple version going and then Enhance it later.
1: I think you're pretty close on the quote. By
0: the way, <laughs> yeah. but it's, a, right. it's a tough one. You know, off the top of my head, but I, <laughs> I mean, I was I was inspired by General Patton from another mentor of mine. It's this absolute lunatic that I worked for. He made me watch Patton like ten times the movie, ten times, and there's so many lessons in that movie for business owners. It's ridiculous.
2: I had a very lovely meeting today in the morning, first thing in the morning with the clients and we had this exactly the same discussion about it's better implement something simple which you own rather than something complicated which you're not clear on details. And when he presented me with his projections of of the budget and what his business will look in the future, I said what's the logic behind these projections? The logic was simple. I feel like it because look at it. For two years, I've been stable. There is no chance that without changing anything, I will be jumping on five mil turnover. And this is what was very simple discussion. But he owned those figures because he just put them on a picture and based on his very trivial logic, he came up with his version of business plan and he was embarrassed initially. But then I said, that's good. That's gold because this is your plan, not my plan. He said, there is no formula behind. I said, that's good again.
0: And, you know, another thing I found is quite often we already have the pieces available to us. We just have to arrange them properly. One of the the most transformative coaching student result that I've had in the short time was a student who was making thirty thousand dollars a month, and in the first call. I identified the pieces that he was already holding. It was like he was holding a packet of cards and I just had him sort the aces into a hand that he could play and he went to $300,000 a month within a month by rearranging what he already had. He had all the pieces. He just didn't recognize it. So in
2: in a general terms, I know there is a privacy of your clients and everything, but in a general term, can you identify what kind of pieces he was overlooking?
0: Well, he was very, very, very good at doing this one particular thing. He had an expertise at one thing and he was doing it for himself. And he was trying to use that one thing to go and play in a market where that one thing was working really well. And everyone in that market was, didn't know how to do that one thing. And I said, why don't you just provide the service for everyone else in that market to do that one thing instead of you trying to go and compete in that market? With your one thing by yourself
2: and so he switched on comparative advantage
0: yeah he basically became the service provider for that entire market who was the best in the world at that one thing so he didn't even have to reveal how he did it he just had to provide that service to them that was a secret
2: well there is a power of being master of one button but really good button
0: yeah
1: and the power of simplifying
0: yeah you know he already had everything he needed all they had to do was actually go to the market and say would you like me to do this for you and they said please
2: very basic again we're coming to very basic concept with very complicated yeah.
0: coach
1: I'm just a basic guy what can I say I, <laughs> I don't I, wear I think, shoes. <laughs> I think that's one of the messages here I mean if I have a look you know you're talking about the NASA space shuttle wiring diagram which I love right and then just bringing that down to kind of one page and that whole thing about you know kind of simplifying bringing something back so it's not overwhelming so, we're not getting stuck in that condition of overwhelm, you know, stuck in kind of that place of inaction, maybe, where we just don't know what to do, just one step at a time. Really simple. Yeah, paralysis. I think most people, they just get to continue learning and absorbing
0: and watching and studying and planning and thinking and hoping and they never actually get stuff done. So, I'd say a huge part of what I do for my students, is if they show me a NASA space shuttle wiring diagram i say this is great and maybe one day but for now what would be the first step in this (laughs) and i would circle a little tiny part of it say why don't we just do this bit for now okay if we do that then we can come back and have a look at we never get back to the the big thing because we don't need the big thing The, the ideas are actually quite simple the macro ideas of having a successful business and the one thing that you absolutely have to have that most people spend all their time avoiding and never approaching is just an offer that converts if you could just have an offer that you could put out to the market that someone could say yes to and give you money for that then that's all you need to start with and then from there everything else can happen you can build your team you can change the price you can Get an office. Get your business cards if you really want all those good things. But they come after the offer that
1: converts, not before. So I remember a, a coaching conversation that we had. I think when I, when I was in Silver Circle, <laughs> and I said, it to you, It sounds I've got like
2: a, a Silver Circus."
1: Silver Circle, Silver Circus, circle. like with you know, silver. on the front of a Mercedes—that's a Silver Circle just okay. with a star in it. Okay. This is okay. just.
2: You're not a bunch of clowns. You're actually no, bunch no, of we're not. You bunch
1: of but you know, we were talking about because I had to set up my brand because I'd basically gone in there with the business, sold that. It's like, what next? <laughs> and and I said to you, I've got to go and get, you know, now I've got to go and get my business cards done. And, and I think what you said to me was, forget the business cards. Nobody needs business cards. They need help.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's like, you, you just start with a customer and then work backwards from that. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, I had yesterday conversation with a client, potential client, who is meeting again. And he basically said, can you please give me the price for your services? And I went to him, what services? And he gone, well, what are you charging? And I said, well, I charge a lot for a lot of things. But what I am not interested in is selling my services to you at all. He said, what do you mean? I said, what problems do you have in your business? tell me three main pain points just you feel right now. If I can solve one of them, and you're happy to pay for this, me solving this problem, that's the price we're going to agree on. I don't have a menu of services apart from compliance, which is just really basic approach, but it's all about meeting your need. And he felt relieved. He gone okay, well, it makes kind of sense. I said, exactly. And he's very going to be a very difficult client because he's stubborn, he's intelligent. It's one of those nightmares when they analyze everything. But this kind of cuts <laughs> through him straight away. Are you difficult?
1: <laughs> I'm stubborn and difficult. What are you yes. trying to say? So, <laughs> I but think I'm what you're coming back to though to- is value-based pricing and actually solving a problem for someone.
2: Thank you for some... <laughs>
1: <laughs> 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 I think I got the summarizing thing from James actually. Because every time you have a conversation with James, he would just summarise it and feed it back to you and say, oh, that's genius.
2: That's well fantastic. done. Yep,
1: cool. Did I summarise that okay though? Oh, I think so. Spot on. It's, <laughs> yeah. It
0: works almost all the time. I've only had it not work once. That was a cultural thing. I had a famous Hollywood movie star wanted to meet me in the basement of a hotel in Sydney and he, had, he was staying under the name Mr Black and I met him in the basement Took a M-class Mercedes-Benz. He wanted to buy for his mum, and he said, "All right, sell me the car." And I, I said, "Well, okay. Can you tell me what your mum's got at the moment?" And he goes, "Why does it matter? She's got a Land Cruiser." And I said, "Okay. Well, just interested to know what she's got because then I could tell you, you know, what's different about this and how it might." be nice because let's shut up and just sell me the car you're the worst salesperson i've ever met <laughs> i said all right well it's got asr esp it's a v6 165 kilowatts all-wheel drive transfer case Blah blah blah." i just went through all the just tech dumped it everything you're not supposed to do as a salesperson and he goes i'll take it <laughs> <laughs> so anyway it was 30 seconds after telling me i'm the worst salesperson he's ever met he's writing out a check for the car full price thank you very much. (laughs) Then he said, we should give him an S 500 because he's famous Hollywood movie star appeared in this movie. And I said, I think we'd probably prefer that you just pay for it. (laughs) But yeah, some cultures, especially the US culture, they sometimes like to be sold to, but that's just because they're used to it and it's normal for them. But certainly if you go into Australia or the UK markets, you definitely want to be more value-based and consultative with your approach so that you don't come across as salesy, which is the exact opposite, of course.
2: Well, that's the point, what you used to. So they're conditioned to this type of arrangement and they're very transactional cultures. When you come to, for example, Russian culture, you can't sell anything. If you were not drinking with me the night before, forget it. Right. We haven't got the relationship going, why should I buy from you? Simple
0: right?
1: Yeah. Very interesting. So, James, just say when you've had some conversations about how your coaching kind of works. What are the most effective levers that you find in you know in a business? We've already spoken about some of them. I'm sure you know when you get a client come to you and say, "Hey, I need help."
0: Depends what they're coming for help for, but it usually fits into four different sort of main areas. One area people fall down on when they get to a certain level is their self-effectiveness. They just get a little bit overwhelmed and overloaded and unproductive, like no routine, not sleeping properly, don't know where to focus. It just get all frazzled. So the leverage for them is to help them fix that because they are the base on which their business, especially if they were the founder and the expert in the business. If they're not right, the business can't really progress. They're holding it back. So I get them fixed.
2: How do you get them fixed? What's uh, the major things they should be doing?
0: Well, I might subscribe to them things that might seem odd to them. Like I might ask them to clear out their garage or I might ask them to take an afternoon off and go to a movie with their wife instead of working for the afternoon. Some of them really struggle with that. because They've been conditioned to be a workaholic. And for them to take time off during the working day is almost impossible. I might prescribe them to play PlayStation every day or take up surfing or to go cycling more. I find out what they're interested in and I ask them to do more of that. So one of my recent students is cycling every single day and he's found a passion for life again and he just just loves it and his business is flying because they realize they're not required every second of the day and they can find leverage points outside but I also talk to him about eating properly, sleeping properly, time blocking. So for example, I do my work on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So I have three days on and I have four days off and using scheduling tools, getting off the devices, less time on their computer, all these sort of things will really help someone rein it in. And then decision-making matrices so that they can just let go of stuff that they think they're holding on Like, throw their to-do list in the bin and never look back.
2: So what's the theory behind it? Because there is there are a lot of things layers there behind this kind of crazy method will go and clean your garage while your business is in such a turmoil. I can kind of guess what the reason behind it. You can just let us know the theory.
0: Well, I think it's a metaphor for holding on to baggage and unnecessary items. Like, The person who's got all that stuff in boxes spread around the place and scattered and they're probably their office is like that and their business is like that and their mind is like that. So if you've ever had a computer that starts going slowly and then you do a defrag or you clear the cache or if you have an apple and you switch it on and off and it resets itself, it's like that. It's just clearing the mess out so that you can start clean. So I like actually refer people quite often to the book The Magic of Tidying Up Because that mindset is good. Like just hang on to the stuff you absolutely love and let go of the rest. We can do that in our business too. Which tasks are bogging them down? Like when I have coaching students, I actually score them on a spreadsheet as to how excited I am to come to the call with them and how much impact I can have for their business. And if they're not five out of five, then I'll clear the garage as well. I've got to love what I do or I'm not doing it. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. If you've built up bad habits in your life, it's going to translate across your business. I think they go hand in hand with with the business owner. Look at Elon Musk in the last week. He's the business owner, and he's put his company in so much strife. They've had to fine him twenty million dollars and take him off as a chairman. Like I think they're intertwined.
1: Mm. Yeah, totally. I love that idea, actually, of scoring clients, and if that—that's a new be. thing, Terence. Yeah, is it? Yeah, I, I like it. Are you worried? I don't know. <laughs> you get a good
0: mark for joy, <laughs> appointment joy. Yeah. It's up there.
1: Yeah. All right. So, first thing is overwhelm, personal effectiveness, and, you know, getting them to zoom in on their focus. What would be the next yeah. thing? Some people come to me
0: with a problem around, like, not sure how to price things, their business model, strategy thing. Like, the, an example one guy's very, very good at what he does, and he was running workshops like every three months in. A particular state in America, four people, they'd spend thousands of dollars. He'd go there, spend a few days, do the workshop, and then go back home. So one month he'll make $80,000, and then the next month he'll make $60, and then the next month, you know, a thousand, and then another month, 70. It's like spiky income, crazy business model that's all revolving around this sort of basically doing mini launches over and over again. I spoke to him this morning. He's now, for the last three months in a row, he's made $35,000 each month consistently because we've switched him to a recurring income model and he now can run that from home or wherever else he happens to be in the world, doesn't have to run these events. And if he does run the events, they're going to be cream on top. So for them, the leverage point is changing the business model to something that's sustainable, that gives reliable, consistent cash flows so they can reduce their stress levels and you know, predict how much they can pay for their wages and their advertising, and, and they've always got a surplus. They never feast and famine because that's going to wear you out. A lot of the reason people have burnout is they just their adrenal glands flogged to death from the spiky nature of their income.
2: So, in order because it's quite common for a lot of consultancy businesses as well, this spiky nature income. Yes. How do you level it out? What would be your most... So the first things they should look at?
0: Well, for us, for a consultant, you could probably seek to put people on a retainer package. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. 10 clients on five grand a month each, $50,000 a month recurring income. It's a nice simple way to solve that problem for some service providers. But there are others. They could make some information products that help educate people to do it themselves if they can't afford the service. So that gives them reliable income. And that might be, a book, it might be a course, it might be a masterclass, it could be a membership. There's all sorts of options available to them. Or maybe they can just add recurring affiliate income to their thing. Maybe their customers all use the same tools that they should be recommending for a commission. Hmm. And some of those tools pay on recurring income. I just made a promotion this week, which I very rarely do, but I found a tool that pretty much all my customers need to have I really like the product and I'm using it for another project and I like the business owner and how long he's been in the market and how clever he is. So I promote it, but I will get a recurring commission from that promotion for a long time and and we made a lot of sales. So just by harnessing the energy of my existing audience who I've built up that trust and reputation with, recommending them a good tool, it's a win for everybody.
2: If you were to, like, for example, business, which is starting up or on crossroads or, or something, and I give you a little challenge, you have an hour of your time, and I would like you to address with them most important areas to, to guarantee their success. And the, in the spirit of this podcast, I would ask you to give them unfair advantage. You've got an hour, what would your main focus be? Because the businesses are businesses. It doesn't matter what area they're in. They would have some common pain points.
0: Right. So I'd find out what's already working for them. And I want to magnify that, just the low-hanging fruit. Who are their very best customers? What are their very best products? And I'd see how we could get more of their very best customers and sell more of their very best products. I'd find out where they're wasting time and energy and just cut it from their existence. And I don't think we'd need an hour really, probably probably need a lot less than that. <laughs> if Once we'd got the plan, then I would spend the rest of the time making sure they start executing. Like we could send an email right then and there to their existing customer base with an offer that could put money in their account before we leave the room. Uh, it would be a very simple email and yeah, I would set up, make sure they've got all the basics in there, like there's certain sequences they should have in place, like a shopping cart abandonment sequence for people who already looked at their offer but didn't buy, I would definitely follow them up. I would get in touch with everyone who used to be a customer who no longer is with a reactivation offer. Like, hey, you used to be a customer, here's what's changed since you were and this is what we'd like to offer you as a loyalty incentive to come back. So that would be a nice way to boost sales. I'd go back to people who are their very best customers, worked out from a, you know, the database. And I'd offer them something else because they're hyper buyers. And I would find it something that I could sell that's ten times more expensive than the highest price thing I have. And I'd offer that to my database, knowing that 10% of them would probably buy it.
2: The last one, you would get some crazy price. Yeah. And sell
0: it. Well it's not crazy. Like basically 10% of your customers will probably pay 10 times more
1: if you have a solution they could buy today. Mm-hmm. that's obviously based on the solution being 10 times more valuable as well, not just being 10 times I
2: wasn't right. prepared to sell matches, <laughs> but anyway.
1: I think that answered your question, right? Yes, he yeah, did answer cool. my question. Thank All right. you. Hang on, we've just got to come back quickly because we've missed, uh, I've got... Two other things. Yeah, <laughs> Nadia's sidetracked us. <laughs> All right, I'm keeping well, notes there, in there my are
2: head. Certain, <laughs> there are certain things I want to ask.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah is she
0: letting me out of the room yet like, not, yet, good? not yet. <laughs> so let's go uh, what's number three thing that we'd work on team and scaling they come to me because just they're maxed out they've got no capacity so we talk about how they can build a team I do spend a lot of time on this topic it's a huge topic you can only get so far by yourself and you know unless you are a best-selling author or a genius software programmer or you've done some song jingle that's plays on the radio all the time you get big royalty you're probably going to need a team it's not a one-man show at a certain point for some people you're going to max out at a few hundred thousand dollars other people maybe a million dollars beyond that you're going to need teams so we spend a fair bit of time talking about when to get them where to get them what to do with them when you've got them and how to tune them and manage them and put them to good use and use excess resources properly and and keep them as well and then to know what to do if it's not working out. So that's a big topic. And then, of course, there's lots of other growing pains that come with that. So you're going to need software around running your team, reporting systems, and, you know, culture and team visits, what to do when you meet them, all this sort of stuff. That's
1: a big, big area. Yep, love that. And we could expand that a bit more. We might come back to it, though. What's number four? Sales and
0: conversions. So, I mean, it's... We're all making sales. And so I spend a bit of time redefining what sales actually is and helping them understand where they're coming from and what we're selling and how we can tune that up and go for some of the additional sales that are available to us. Sometimes we shorten the path, sometimes we add new avenues. So, we've got lots of different ways that we can reach our customers and different ways that we can make our offer and different formats. And I've seen plenty of them that work now because I have such a good database to work with. I've got 500 users in super fast business and 30 people in Silver Circle. So I'm seeing this at scale from all different businesses. So we just, I basically cross-pollinate what's working well at the time between different industries, which is really a Jay Abraham technique that I learned. <laughs> There's a lot of power in taking something that, that's pedestrian in one industry that's never been heard of in another.
1: Yeah. And that comes back to what you said earlier about just having an offer that converts and then building on that. That's the foundation.
0: Yeah. The conversion. That's where I focus first, the conversion.
1: And so one of the other things in your book that I've heard you talk about a lot, and I talk about a little bit now as well, to be honest, is effective hourly rate. I don't know yeah. where you got that from, but it's a great concept. And how do you mix effective hourly rate in with, uh, with this stuff that we've spoken about? Right.
0: Well, um in terms of origin, I just worked it out for myself. Now, I'm not saying I invented it. I think I googled it and didn't really find much about it. So I'm happier to, to at least in my mind it's something original to me, but someone might correct me on that. But if someone else invented it, good good on them as well, because I think it's a good benchmark to just be aware of. in fact I'm pretty sure that I derived it from some discussions we had with our accountants in the Mercedes dealership where we were doing a lot of measurements around throughput in the service division where we worked out how much of our available manpower was there and how much we were selling and I think it was that was the seed of the idea for me to sort of thinking about this but it's just a scoring way to work out if what we're doing is effective. We just take our sales we subtract our costs and that equals our profit, and then we divide that by the number of hours that we had to work to get that profit. What it gives you is a good sort of calculation to then use as a benchmark to go and hire other people to do it. If you can hire someone who's equally as good as you to do that same task for less than your effective hourly rate, then you should because then you can do something else at a higher effective hourly rate. So it's a good way to tune what tasks you've allocated for yourself And you can also do it by product line and you can identify like you might be spending a lot of time on one particular product and making less than you could earn at McDonald's. You would literally be better to not work on that product and to go down to the corner McDonald's and put in a shift there and then go back home and work on your other stuff. (laughs) So it's shocking when you work it out for the first time to get a
1: handle on this. And then it's a great tool. I use this with a client of mine and he was an electrician great guy and he hated doing quotes so what we did is we mapped out his effective hourly rate based on the different tasks that he was doing and he hated doing quotes because he he kind of said well I'm not making any money while I'm quoting and so what we did is we worked out his effective hourly rate when he was on the tools and then his effective hourly rate when he was off the tools and quoting the end result as you probably already know is that his effective hourly rate when he was off the tools and quoting was more than 10 times the, his effective hourly rate when he was on the tools. So all we had to do was get him off the tools to multiply his effective hourly rate by 10. I've used it there. And also even I volunteer in a club mountain bike club. I might've spoken about it before. And we've used it there as well to figure out, like we put a lot of volunteer hours into, into this organization and then may not kind of see a return for it, or you know we've got uh, government agencies that we're kind of helping with all these volunteer hours, but they're not helping us back. So we can then look at that and say, well, hang on, we can we can actually put a measure on what we're doing, and then go and ask for something back. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you put a value on it. Yeah,
2: I had discussion with the client on effective hourly rate. It's it is an accounting concept. Thank you for giving some credit there. Yes, it's an accounting concept. Okay. Basically, you—it's <laughs> net profit divided by hours. It's yeah, you yeah.
0: Spend I'm sure it. it's an age-old formula, but it's—it's it's, um, it's logical.
2: And, yes, it also stems to the opportunity cost of you doing this work versus opportunity cost of doing Correct. other work. So it's an economic concept as well. So what we end up—we end up crying. All of us in a boardroom were crying because the client and the tears were actually water was coming out of the eyes of the owner because $5 an hour, his effective hourly rate. When we looked at 80 hours a week, he was putting in and the amount of money he was getting out of the business in his pocket. That's what basically in a nutshell we were looking at, the $5 an hour and we were looking and dicing and slicing how much he should be paying his employees. And I said, how much he paying the most important employee? And he said, well, I don't know. Let's work it out. And we worked it out. So the tears were there. And it was a really, really breaking down session and come to the Jesus kind of discussion. And at the end of it, we're just now building it up or focusing on most with the highest opportunity cost, is, sorry, low opportunity cost mm. for him, which means he's the master of this function. That's why I have sometimes argument with my team. My team ask me to give them help or hand with something, and I said, so you're telling me I should let go of this aspect of our business. Nobody's going to do it and help you with this. Uh, what other options are there? You can do this, this, and this. So we're working it out now. And it's one of the, my pivotal discussions with my team members. Where should I be focusing? And I ask you some simple question If I were doing this youth part of the job, can you do mine at the same time? No, it's, it's not good. So it's not a fair trade then. That's it. So I'm the breadwinner. I'm bringing the clients. I'm computing the clients. Therefore, somebody has to be...
1: James has a great take on this. It outlines... So, the book is kind of built around it. Well, James can... I'll let him uh, talk about it.
0: No, you go on. I'm fascinated.
1: (laughs) Well, Uh everything. So, you know, you bring a lot of activities back to that effective hourly rate and just being able to then measure your effectiveness based on... I mean, I think that's a key thing. You know, it's an indication of your performance and your effectiveness and i think that's one thing that as business owners we sometimes just forget to do
0: yeah it's like you can just say if you have more than one product or service it's good to benchmark each one against themselves like i kind of have like a battle of the business models and i see if i can one of my business divisions can beat the other one and and win my affection and attention you know based on its effective hourly rate and it's a good indicator when you might want to change your deliverables or the price that you're charging. And it's not to say you can't replace the roles that you get a high effective hourly rate for. I mean, your friend who's doing invoices that hates it, he might be able to pay someone $20 an hour to do invoicing that's generating him $1,000 an hour and he can just profit the rest if they could do as good a job as him, as long as he's not hogging the low value tasks like being out on the road, unless he loves it.
1: Yeah, yeah, this was more around the actual you know, being a part of the sales process, he hated yeah. just, he just didn't want to get off the tools. And this is the guy that within, he spent three weeks off the tools and added about 100K to his business. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, because he's hogging the low value jobs and, yeah. and
0: holding himself back from where the money is. Yeah.
1: So we better work towards wrapping up. But, so love you to tell us how we can connect with you, or how our listener can connect with you, find your book, get on to the next Maldives trip, all that kind of stuff?
0: Well, superfastbusiness.com is a good epicenter there. I think the book's on the homepage there and there's a podcast you could listen to if you want to listen to some other stories. And there is a page for the Maldives and a waiting list. I will mention though, it's super sold out for a very long time. It's like, I think we're up to 2020 at the moment with a, with a substantial waiting list. And I couldn't be more excited about that trip.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I've been on two trips, James. We had an absolute ball and I can highly recommend it. The first time, I think, James, will remember I was, I had just started surfing and (laughs) I did not get on one single wave. I was the worst. In fact, I wasn't even a surfer. Mm -hmm. I was even just a bad paddler. brought you
0: to make me look like a better surfer (laughs) like your your wave count made my two waves
1: look good (laughs) oh we had awesome fun it was great masterminding and the the trip was still worthwhile and the second year i went back and i think i redeemed myself would that be fair to say oh you've had a transformation that's like i was saying
0: to see people transform their personal lives as well as business is a big tick in the box for me you approached it With precision, you planned, you got the right equipment, you put in the effort, and you managed to get waves. I was smiling as much as you were when you were gliding down those waves because I know how hard it is, and you kept doing it after you got back. That's the hard thing. When you leave the board shorts, tropicals, and now you're in the 4-3 wetsuit in Torquay, that's when the persistence and determination kicks in, and super pleased to hear that you're continuing that.
1: Yeah. Thank you. All right. Well, yeah. Sorry. One more thing. Is there a live event coming up next year? There is.
0: April the third and fourth, two thousand and nineteen, is the next Superfast Business Live, and there'll be a there's a waiting list for that as well on Superfast Business. So I'll let, I'll send an email out when the tickets go on sale for that.
1: Okay. Well, maybe we'll see if we can put a link to it in the notes or something. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Yeah. Let's do that. It'll be a great event. So. All right, fantastic. Thanks, James. Thanks for joining us and thanks for everything you've helped me with personally and thanks for bringing some value to our audience as well. Thank you. Thank you. It's so lovely to meet you both,
0: Nadia. And you again, Terrence.
2: Likewise. Thanks, mate.
0: Thanks for listening to the Unfair Advantage Project. For more curated resources, visit us at unfairadvantageproject.com.